and uh, there's, there's fire and smoke pouring out of it, and, and the professional says to the homeowner, now I'll bet you're hoping it's just a minor problem. And, and usually that's kind of the way it is. You know, that's that wishful hope, that wishful thinking. And it kind of, you know, there's one scene and two different conclusions. And uh, while we were on vacation last week, I was told a story. It was a cute story, and it was a true story, which makes it even better. But uh, you know, let me just share it with you, and you come to your own conclusions. But uh, a dog walks into a Dodge City saloon and uh, orders a root beer. And uh, when this dog walks in, orders a root beer, says, you know, I'd like a root beer. And the bartender says, hey, we don't serve dogs, and we don't serve root beer. So the dog looks around, he gets a little angry, and says, look, you know what? My money's just as good as anybody else's money in this place, and I demand that you serve me, even though I'm a dog, and I want a root beer. So they get in this little argument, and finally the bartender gets just sick of this dog arguing with him. He goes down below the counter, pulls out a gun, shoots the dog in the foot. The dog limps out, and he goes away. About a week later, the same dog comes limping back into the bar. He goes up to the bartender, and he notices it's not the same bartender. He's looking around. He can't find him. The bartender says, can I help you? He says, yeah, I'm looking for the man who shot my paw. Now, I don't, you know, I don't remember you being this ugly of a group. And I said it was cute. I didn't say it was funny. You know, I prefaced it. I, I set you up. I warned you. You know what? And the whole point of it is this. You know, oftentimes in life, it really doesn't matter whether we see things a little bit differently or not. But there are other times in life where it's critical that we see things just the way they are. And um, one of the things that we're going to talk about today is that, you know, there are times in life when you know, one of us will see something as an opportunity. It's an opportunity for fun. It's an opportunity for pleasure. It's an opportunity to enjoy ourselves. And someone else, another person, will look at that same, quote, opportunity as, you know what? I don't see it as being fun. I don't see it as being pleasurable. I don't see it as being enjoyable. In fact, what I see is that it's dangerous with the potential for great disaster in my life. Now, isn't it fascinating how two people can look at the same thing and come to two drastically different conclusions or a different perspective? And the whole thing is, and that's what we're going to talk about, is that's the way it is with temptation. One of us will look at it as an opportunity for pleasure, for fun, and a good time. The other person will look at it and say, you know what, I recognize it for what it truly is, and it's dangerous, and the potential for disaster is great. And as we struggle with life's temptations and these so-called opportunities, we need to understand and recognize temptation for what it truly is. Temptation by definition is this. Temptation is to entice or induce one to do something. It is an act of enticement to do evil, that which is sinful, that which violates divine or moral law. So the way that I look at that and put it into my own words so that I understand it better is this. Temptation is the act of enticement to try to get me to do that which is wrong by promising to provide me with some form of pleasure or a perception of a benefit that somehow I'll get if I go ahead and do it. You follow what I'm saying? Temptation is the enticement to, to, for me to act wrongly by promising something that will be pleasurable or perceived to me as being a benefit. So we need to look at that in light of everything that we're talking about because every one of us here struggle with life's temptations. If we would just ask around, do you struggle with temptation? Do you struggle with something that, that, that the enticement to do that which God says is wrong because you're going to benefit in some way, whether it's, whether it's pleasure or a perceived benefit? And, and the answer is obvious. All of us do. 
And so as we struggle with these life's temptations, oftentimes in life, we find that we begin to feel like, you know what, in this area of my life, it's just hopeless. It's just hopeless. I've always struggled with this area of my life, and I've got 95% of my life, I'm doing the right things, I'm doing what God expects me to do, I'm walking in a way that's pleasing to God, but in just this one area of my life, you know, I'm defeated, I'm discouraged, I'm guilt-ridden, you know, I feel like it's just hopeless. If you have ever been there, or you're there now, you'll be glad you're here. Because what Peter is going to do in the series that we've been going through on hope is he's going to give us a sense of encouragement to those of us who feel like I'm struggling in an area of life, I can't overcome it, and that area is just hopeless. So I'm, I'm, I'm resigning myself to just allow that to continue going on. But I'll go ahead in all these other areas to keep on doing what's right. But I got this one little area. It's kind of like a friend of mine said that he goes, you know, if you want to have a beautiful garden, you can't reserve a plot for weeds. Interesting. And some of us are doing that in our life today. It's like, I, I want to live a life that's pleasing to God, but I also just got this little plot over here, and I reserve it for weeds because it's hopeless, and I can't get beyond it. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter and uh, chapter 1, and we'll pick up on where we left off on the whole subject of hope. You know, th- there is hope. As we'll see, and Peter is one who shares this hope with us in 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verses 13, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 1, um, 13 through 21. And we read these words. And in this particular passage, what he's going to show us and help us to see is that, you know what, there's even hope beyond temptation. 1 Peter 1, starting with verse 13. He says, Therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. It says, And if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon earth knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious lamb as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. It says, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared, to these la- but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. In this passage, Peter's going to help us to see that there's hope even beyond temptation. And uh, as we look at these, he's going to give us basically three principles to apply in our life, three principles to successfully overcome those urges, those enticements to do that which is wrong. And he's going to help us as we go through it. Now, the key to understanding this particular passage is found in the very first verse of the passage, or this particular section in verse 13, and we, we see the word, therefore. And as you go through the Bible and you run across the word therefore, obviously the best habit to get into is to ask yourself the question, what is it there for? And the reason that I say that is because therefore is a connecting word that helps us to understand what was talked about previously, 
ties into what he's about to introduce in the next section, and it all ties in together. So as we go through and we see this word, therefore, we have to kind of review in our mind, what have we learned to date? What are the things that he's talked about? And to date, what we found out is, is that, you know, uh, in this instance, we look back at what we previously studied, and everything falls into place. And up to this point, we've learned that there is, first of all, there is hope beyond failure. We saw that in the life of Peter. Up to this point, we've learned there's hope beyond failure. Listen to me. There is not a human being who is a, a failure because we fail. Do you understand that? You are not a failure as a human being because you fail. The reason you fail is because you're human. And there's a big difference between the two. Failure is an event that occurs in a moment of time. It's not a person. A person in God's eye is never a failure. And what God wanted to get across in the life of Peter is that though Peter failed at a moment in time when he denied Jesus, God was able to take that broken pieces of his life and build together a masterpiece where now this failure is now an apostle of Jesus Christ. So we learned, first of all, there is hope beyond failure. The second thing that we've learned up to this date is that there's hope beyond suffering. There are going to be times in this life on this earth where we will suffer for doing the right thing. We will suffer for doing the wrong thing. We will suffer for making wrong choices in the area of temptation. But what we need to understand is that God's grace is sufficient for us to overcome not only the suffering of this lifetime, but also the temptations that are brought before us as we move along in life. God's grace is sufficient in both areas of life. We need to recognize that, and we need to understand it. So as we look at this, we find that, you know what? There's hope beyond temptation, and the first thing that we learn is, hey, how do we overcome temptation? I'm struggling in an area of life, and I feel like it's hopeless. I've tried everything that I can try, everything that I can think of, and I keep falling back into the same pattern. There's no hope. Yes, there is. And the first way that we learn that there's hope is this. The first, the first part of this passage, to successfully overcome temptation, we're told that we are to live a holy life. How do I overcome temptation in my life? He says, here's how you're going to do it. You are going to live a holy life. Now, the first thing that comes to my mind when I hear the word holy, unfortunately, in our society, in our culture, tends to be a negative thing. For instance, a person who is very charismatic is what? A holy roller, right? And you hear negative connotations. A person who is self-righteous and arrogant and, you know, super pious, what do they have? A holier-than-thou attitude. And so as we begin to look at this word, we, we start to get a little confused that, wait a minute, you know, holy has a negative connotation to it. But from God's perspective, I got great news for you. To be holy is not a bad thing. To be holy simply means this. The root word that's translated, as we look at it, it's translated, it simply means different. Now, some of us are thinking, but different is bad. I don't want to be different. Well, wait a minute. Is different always bad? See, you can be different and not be a kook or a super pious geek or some weirdo or, you know, a, a Jesus freak, as, you know, the negative connotations are out there. We can be different and not be a weirdo or a kook, a geek, a nut. We can be different simply by being different depending on who we compare ourselves to. See, and that's the issue, isn't it? Compared to what? And that's what we're going to look at and that's what we're going to talk about because he's saying the key to holiness is that we are to be different and the word holy means that we're to be set apart. We're to be set apart. 
Okay, now follow that for a minute, and I'll show you how this all works. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6 for a second. Because the question that you have to ask yourself is this. What does it mean to be set apart? Or how does this process take place? How am I going to be set apart from other people? And in Romans 6, we find the answer, and it's very simple, but it's wonderful once we understand it and appreciate it, because it's important in, in light of what he's trying to tell us to do. If I'm to live a holy life or a life that's set apart or different, I need to understand how I'm going to be set apart. I need to understand how that process takes place. I need to know how, what I'm going to be set apart from. And in Romans 6, we have somewhat of an answer to that. It says in Romans 6, verse 1, I love this because the introduction is this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? There are many of us who say, you know what? It's okay to give in to temptation because God will forgive me. After all, isn't he faithful and just if we confess our sins to forgive us and cleanse us from it? So therefore, I can do this, and I know that God will forgive me. You know, and it's this pattern that I've run into. You know, I do it, and, and, I, and, I, and I'm broken, and I'm guilty about it, and I ask God to, you know, forgive me, and he says he forgive me, and I believe him, but I go back and I do it again, but that's okay because he'll just keep forgiving me. And isn't it wonderful to be a participant in this wonderful grace of God? Every time I screw up, I ask for forgiveness, he forgives me. And so I've just got this cycle going here where it seems hopeless, but it's not really that bad because it doesn't really matter because I'll fail, forgive me. And so we run into this, and he's saying, well, what are we, wait, 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 wait. He says, may that never be. Don't ever have that mindset that it's okay to continue to do wrong before God or give in to temptation because God will forgive you. He asked this question, now how shall we who died to sin continue to still live in it? That doesn't make sense. He says, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism and death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk, what? In newness of life. So that we might live a separate life from those around us. A separate life from the way we used to live. A separate life, a different life from what we're used to. Hey, if any man's in Christ, what? He's a new creature. Old things pass away. We're separated from all those things. And now we're going to live a different way. And that's what he's getting across. For if we've become united with him, if any man is in Christ, says in the likeness of his death, certainly we'll also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And knowing this, convinced of this, having experienced this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from all sin. That's why the apostle said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer even I who live. But Christ lives within me. In this life I'm now living, in this flesh, I live by my faith in the Son of God. He gave himself up for me, and now he lives through me. It's not me anymore. It's him controlling my life. And so it's not a matter of whether I'm going to give in to this temptation, this enticement to do wrong, because it's not me making that decision. It's God who's living within me saying, hey, you don't have to do that anymore. So he goes on and says, Now if we've died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. And then he says this, Therefore, what's it there for? Because of what he just told us. If we have come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior and we have died with him, so to speak, in his death, he now raises us to a new life so we can live differently. We're no longer a slave to sin and the things that we used to do. So he says, therefore, because that is a truth, he says, now you don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. 
and you don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but now you present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not master over you. You and me. Those who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, sin no longer masters over us anymore. And now the responsibility is thrown back on us. You stop presenting yourself. You stop going on living like that. You stop doing those things. You need to stop doing that. And all of a sudden, we've got a dilemma here where God says he frees us from something, and now he throws the responsibility back on us as to whether we'll believe him and then start living in a way that will no longer yield to those enticements to do wrong. He goes on in verse 22 and says, By, But now, having been freed from sin and now enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now as we go through this, what we need to understand and recognize is this. Throughout the study so far, Peter has said that we are chosen by God. Now the question that you have is this. What does it mean to be chosen? Well, it just means that God chooses us. How's that for an interpretation? All right? And it's as simple as this. Um, for example, right now, I'm going to choose Armin. Armin, I'm going to choose you. And I'm going to choose you to come up here and to separate yourself from the rest of these losers. So you come up here. Come on. Just, just come up here. Now, see, this is very simple, but, but it's, it's just really deep. This is profound. And, and now, now you just go, go ahead over there, sit down, and just relax in your freedom. No, you don't have to do that. Well, you could. You're now a babe in Christ. You want to suck your thumb, you can do that too. But see, the, now, the point is now, what, what makes him separated from the rest of you? His hair. His hair. <laughs> no, come here a minute. Stand up. Come here. You stand up. Now you stand up. You stand up. Now, is there much difference going on here? I don't see a whole lot of difference going on here. You guys could be brothers. Well, it could be is the key phrase that you need to concentrate on. Okay, now, now, now what, what makes him different or set apart from the rest of you? He was chosen. Did he do anything to deserve it? No. The point is this. When God chooses us, the only thing that we have to do is accept his love and his grace. The only thing that he did was when I chose him, he accepted to be chosen, and he came up and he separated himself. God separates us from the world around us. We're all lumped in a big old big lump sum of people that are all losers in the sight of God. We are all, and I, and I did this a couple of weeks ago and I did it wrong. I said, losers? Well, my kids straightened me out. It's losers. It's this way. So I was, I was the biggest loser of all that day. I didn't even know it. You can't even do loser right. It's not a loser. It's a loser. So, hey, Dad, you're a loser. So anyway, so I learned something. But, uh, but what God's saying is, that, see, we are all lost. You understand? We're all lost. For the wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in a big lump sum that God says is lost. Now what God does is he chooses to buy us back or redeem us. That's our study of the book of Ruth, remember? So he chooses to redeem us. Our only responsibility is to accept that love, that gift of being chosen. Isn't that wonderful? That's a wonderful truth, and it frees you up when you realize it's not based on our performance. It's not based on anything but the love of God for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, loser, but enter into eternal life. 
For God sent Christ in the world to judge it, the world was already judged. For just as through one man Adam, sin entered the world, hey, you know what? So did death. So we were all judged already. So the point is that we're on this lump sum. Now, the only way we get separated or set apart is God chooses us and we accept his choosing. Okay? Now, you can go back, but this is the, the, the illustration ends here because we don't go back. Once we're chosen, we're always chosen. Once we accept it, you know, you really should stay here because they're going to get confused. Yeah. But, but, I, but I get nervous anytime I have any of you people standing behind me. But you go there. But thank you. You're such a good sport. And you know what's so wonderful, too, is I've never, this guy is a, a biology professor at a local college. And everyone that ever took his class said he is the most, he's the, one of the toughest professors in the world. And he just has his way with everybody in his class. Now, it's so cool to be able to stand here and say, I'm never going to take one of your classes. And, uh, and I can just have my way with you. So for anybody that's ever had him as a professor, you can thank me later. And if you want to give me five bucks a head or whatever you want to do. And then we'll think of cool things to do to him in another couple of weeks. But anyway, the point of it is this. We are separated positionally or set apart, taken from the crowd, and then set apart, what? For God's purposes. And this is what he's saying as we go through this. And so let, let me just share with you some things that help us uh, to live a holy life, a life that's set apart now, a life that's different from everybody else, a life that's even different from our old life. It's a new life, and it's different, set apart. That's all he's saying is to live a holy life. It means that you're going to be different than you used to be. So when it comes to temptation, think about it. You're going to be different. You know how you're going to be different? You're not going to give in anymore like you used to. You're not going to yield to those enticements like you used to. You're going to recognize them for what they are, potentially dangerous and disastrous, and not an opportunity for fun and pleasure and a good time. You're going to see them the way God sees them for what they truly are. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. Okay. Some of you know, some of you don't. Now, give me some, well, let, me, let me give you some illustrations to help you understand it. The Holy Bible. Holy Scriptures. The Holy Bible. Why is it holy? Because it's set apart and it's different. Different than what? Different than all the philosophies of the world. Every man that's ever had a philosophy and ever had somebody that would run and write it down and encapsulate it in a book or in some other form the Holy Scriptures, the Holy Writings, the Holy Bible is a book, a collection of books that is set apart from everything else that you'll ever read in this world. It's different from anything else you'll ever read. It is set apart and different from everything. I love that. Because what happens here is we need to recognize and understand something. This book is separated and different from everything else that you'll ever read or hear in this world. You know why that's wonderful? Because we need to recognize and understand something. This book is the Word of God, the written Word of God, and it comes from God Himself through the Spirit of God, directed through the lives of men that He used to write it, but it's without error, and it is the Word, inspired Word of God. It is different than man's philosophies and viewpoints, and we need never to forget that and always to remember what we have is something different than the rest of the world has. We've got the truth that will set people free. So we can't compromise that book because it's holy, it's separated, it's different. And I'm so tired of this movement in churches today to try to make it user-friendly for people, and we don't want to show people we're using the Bible. Well, what do you got to show them that's different? Turn on a talk show. Turn on Oprah. Turn on Winfrey. Turn on uh, Oprah Winfrey. Turn on Rosie and O'Donnell or whatever. You know what I'm saying? 
if you, you want to hear what everybody else is, just listen to all that. But if you want to hear truth from the Word of God, it's holy, it's separate, it's different. There's nothing like it. Okay? Second thing is, how about Holy Communion? Okay, Holy Communion, what do we do? We take bread or crackers or whatever the element is. We take grape juice or wine and we separate it from typical use of grapefruit or, or, or grape juice or wine or, or bread or crackers. And the separate is, you know what? We take it apart, we separate it. It's different because now in this context, it's being used to remember what Jesus did for us. He says, remember what I did for you. You can have crackers when you go out to a good fish restaurant and have it with your clam chowder. A cracker's a cracker. But when you separate it and it's different for a different context, it's separated for God's purposes. It's holy communion. Holy matrimony. You take two people, a man and a woman, still and forever, a man and a woman. You separate them from every other man and woman. You put them together. And they are exclusively for one another. They're separated. They're different from all the people that are still in the single crowd. They're called out and they're different. See, this helps me to understand the whole world holy is that we're just to be set apart positionally. God does that. But now performance-wise, we're to be set apart and different by living a different life. Now, how does that all take place? Here's how it all takes place. Now, what's interesting is this is in behavior only. He says, live a holy life. You, you follow that? In all that you do, live a holy life. This has nothing to do with our nature. You follow me? We are sinners saved by the grace of God. God is holy in nature. Man will never be holy in nature. We are set aside positionally because of God's grace, but you and I will never be holy as God, but we can live a holy life or a life that's separated for God's purposes. Some of us think that we've reached the magical level, the super pious person who thinks somehow now they have a holy nature that's different from people around them. And they can't appreciate nor relate to people that are struggling with temptation in their life because, oh, look at me, I'm perfect now. And you know what the problem with that person is? That you can never find anybody else in their life who will validate that's true. You know what I'm saying? They may think so, but ask around. And so what we need to recognize is he's talking about in behavior. So three things that he shares. Number one, is here's what we need. Now, you know, to be candid, there's nothing easy about this, but we also need to recognize that it is possible. He says this, gird your mind or prepare your minds, what? For action. Prepare your minds for action. Now, here's how we do that. He says, you know, prepare your minds for action. The way that I look at it is this. He goes on and he talks about, you know, we need to pull our thoughts together. And isn't that so true? That most of the time, the reason we yield to temptation is because we've already thought about how pleasurable it'll be to give in and to do those things. We've already prepared our minds, not for action to be separate from it, but we've prepared our minds for action to go ahead and do it, and we start to be enticed by the thought of it, and we start to entertain the thought of it, and before you know it, all we're lacking is opportunity, and we'll go ahead and do it. Now, what he's saying is this. The way that we prepare our minds for action is this. Never lose sight. The blessed hope, this whole series, the blessed hope for every Christian is this, that Jesus Christ is coming back. He is the blessed hope of every believer, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, as well as all the other apostles and all the writings in the New Testament, believed that, the eminent, that it was going to be eminent at any time. They were looking for the return of Christ at any time. 
we should be looking for the return of Christ at any time. And I'll tell you why, because this is what it will do. If I believe, and I'm in my mind, and I recognize that Jesus is coming back again, that understanding, that hope of that future occurrence changes the way I think today. If I believe that Jesus could come back right at this moment, it will change the way I live at this present moment in time. It's like a kid or kids whose parents are away. If they believe they could show up at any time, it changes the way they think. But if they think it's another week and we can wait because they ain't coming home till then and then we'll clean the house and you pop in on them early, what's the first thing they say? Well, that's not fair. That's just not fair. You told us. And I believe that's why God never told us when Jesus is coming again. Because we're all like that. You know, and think about it. As kids, we're all conditioned. You go into class, what's happening? Somebody's a pop quiz? Well, that's not fair. What do you mean it's not fair? Well, you, well that's not fair. Why well, are you ready for it? Well, no, you know us. We'll never be ready for it. You tell us to test Friday. It's Thursday night. And we're just busting it, trying to figure out if we're going to get by Friday. So don't be popping a quiz on us Wednesday. That's not fair. Jesus comes back today, there's going to be a whole bunch of people going, ah, that's not fair. And he's saying to overcome temptation, we need to prepare our minds for the inevitable event that Jesus is coming again. And that's where it all starts. To live a life that's set apart or holy, we must decide in a moment of time that I'm going to live a life that's different and set apart for God's purposes. The second thing, oh, I like what Mother Teresa was quoted up said. She said this, our progress and holiness depends on God and ourselves, on God's grace and on our will to be holy. Wow. It's good stuff. Second principle that's involved in living a holy life is, he says, be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, patience, self-control. Self-control. So what's God saying? God's saying is this. Now that you have been called or chosen and set apart from the rest of the world, you've got something going for you that the rest of the world doesn't. And you know what that is? You've got the Spirit of God living within you who will give you the strength and the power to overcome temptation. It's not hopeless for the believer if the believer will just trust in God and the believer will, will rely on God's Spirit and God's strength. And if the believer just says, you know what, I can be self-controlled because God gives me the ability to be self-controlled. It's no longer, I can't just keep falling into this. Hey, any believer that says that, they're lying to God and to themselves. And you can't help yourself because you don't want to help yourself because God's already given you all the help that you want. All he's saying now is to believe him and then be self-controlled. You don't have to continue presenting yourself to that. You can go on and present yourself to God. Not to that, but to God. God, I want to present your, myself to you this day to overcome this temptation because I believe what you say, that you give me the strength, you give me the power of the Spirit of God within my life, that I no longer have to live as a slave to sin and that I can live differently or set apart. Wow, that's good stuff. And it all starts in our mind, believing that what God has to say, which means renewing our mind with the Word of God, understanding the Word of God, what God's promises are, what He has to say about different issues. It, you know, it's, it's the renewing of our mind, which Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I urge you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, uh, you, know, to, you know, not to go on presenting yourselves in this way, not to be conformed in this way, not to be pressed into the, in the mold that the world has to offer, but to have a renewed mind. A transformation takes place when you have a renewing of your mind, that you'll know what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, perfect. All way we know is by reading the word of God so it starts in our mind it carries out into our actions be self-controlled just don't do it and the third thing that he says as we go through this is have a, a sober mind or self-control mind means this calm, steady, ways matters give serious thought to what God says about right or wrong 
about good and bad, about the benefits, about the consequences. Hey, you know what I'm, I'm learning as we go th- through this is God chooses us, he sets us apart, and then it's our responsibility to live differently. Number three, he says, fix your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And that's talking about the coming of Christ again. To fix your hope on the coming of Jesus Christ. And by doing that, you'll overcome temptation today. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. You look at the, you hear this for a second? Ignorance leads to a life of disobedience. Ignorance leads to a life of disobedience. What he's saying now is as a, as a chosen person of God, you no longer can claim ignorance. You know right from wrong. The Spirit of God convicts us of right from wrong, and as you prepare your mind to live a life differently from the world around us, we read the Word of God, and the Word of God teaches us right from wrong. We are no longer ignorant anymore. When the believer chooses to yield to temptation, we do it exactly because of that. We simply choose to disobey. It's a matter of disobedience. That's all that it is. Jesus said, if you love me, what? You obey my commandments. If you love God, the highest motivation, then you'll do what's right because you love Him and you want to obey Him. It's no longer a matter of I didn't know any better, I'm ignorant of it. No, you're not ignorant anymore. You know the truth. The truth will set you free if you choose to live a holy life. And as we go through this, we'll understand a little further as we go down in what he's saying because the second thing he says is this. Not only do we live a holy life, but the second way that we overcome temptation is that we, um, we walk in fear. We walk in fear. 1 Peter 1.17, we read this. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives, what? As strangers here in reverent fear. What's he talking about? As God's children, we need to get serious about the whole idea of sin. As God's children, we need to be serious about what God says is wrong. We need to take him very, very serious. Because in God there's no darkness at all, and he's not going to cut us any slack. Because like a father who disciplines his son, so God disciplines those he loves. God is not going to cut you any slack if you choose to live a life of disobedience. And we need to walk in fear or live a life fearing God and the judgment of God, knowing that one day, now let me explain this to you very carefully. Those who have chosen by God that accepted Jesus Christ, that are set apart from the crowd, will never experience the judgment of God as to their eternal destination. We have been freed from our sin. We are believers in Christ. We have new life. We will be with Him in heaven forever. But what God says is this, believer, don't ever forget that there's also a day coming when each one of us will give an account to Jesus Christ for the works that we've done while here on earth, while we, after we were separated from the crowd. Once we got over here, then God says, I want you to live differently, and one day Jesus Christ himself will judge us as to how we lived differently from the world around us. And I'll tell you what, that should, if we're walking in fear, be a constant reminder to me and you that when I'm ready to yield to this enticement to do wrong before God, the one thing I need to think about is this. Wow, I'm going to have to give an account to God, to Jesus Christ himself, for what I'm doing here today. And you know what? It's just not worth it. I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to present myself to God and do what's right. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. It's weighing the consequences versus the benefits. And I'll tell you this, that the benefits of sin are always very, very temporary, if there's any at all. 
but the consequences are long-term. So as we look at this, we need to understand we're going to walk in fear because Romans 14.10 again says, hey, you know what? You then, why do you judge your brother or why do you look down on your brother? For we'll all stand before God's judgment seat. It's written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God, so that each of us will give an account of himself to God. And that's what we're looking at here. You know, it's an account to God. You want to successfully overcome temptation? Then the first thing that you need to do is choose to live differently in a lifestyle that's pleasing to God. Walk in fear knowing that one day that you'll give an account to Jesus Christ himself for what you've done after he separated you. And you know what? Just another little note here that I want to just interject at this time. We live in a culture that has gotten so flippant toward God that we should all be just scared to death. And I'll, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. You hear people often referring to God like on the buddy system. The big Dodger in the sky, the man upstairs, you know, the great Bambino, whatever. You know, and they refer to God and try to bring him down to man's level. Now, if you want a good dose of reverence for God, just spend some time and read who he is. Read about his character and his nature. Read about what he's done throughout human history. Read about the fact that with a word he created the universe. It doesn't get much more powerful than that. And we were in Hawaii, we were in a lava field, and we were looking at this, the last volcanic eruption that took place in this particular island. And this whole side of the island was devastated, and the lava just flowed down to the sea, and there were huge boulders, lava rocks that were bigger than, than the podium. I mean, they were huge. And it was just like a big burp, you know? And, and just the power of this volcano that would just throw this stuff as far as it did, and the impact that it made. And then I'm thinking, you know what? Our God created the universe! And as, as awesome and powerful as a burp from a volcano is, could you imagine what God can do? That's why Jesus said, what, what's wrong with you people? You fear man? Are you crazy? That's the New Living Version. <laughs> it's kind of paraphrased, but he's saying, are you crazy? All that man can ever do to you is kill you. And they can only kill your body. They can't kill your soul or your spirit. But God can kill your body and then send your soul, your spirit to hell for all eternity. You want to fear someone, fear God. Have a reverence for God. Have a love for God that motivates you to live differently while you're here on earth, knowing that you've got to give an account to Him, but also a reverence of knowing what an awesome and powerful God that He is. You know, our children, I would hope that our children would learn to be obedient to us, and the greatest motivation is because they love us. Because they don't want to disappoint us. They don't want to let us down. And you know, it was always fun to watch our children when they did something that was wrong and see a broken spirit and see them realize, you know what, I'm sorry, you know, because I hurt your heart. And it was always funny because our youngest daughter then would come back to me and goes, but you're hurting my heart right now too. Oh, okay, so we're even. <laughs> but, uh, but it was always interesting how, you know, I'm sorry because I hurt your heart. You know, and, and wasn't that, I mean, think about that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God's people were, were had that same kind of attitude to God? God, I'm sorry that I yielded to temptation because I know right now that I hurt your heart. And I love you. And that love for you motivates me to want to do what's right. And man, you know what? And I did the wrong thing. I'm glad that I can confess it. And I'm glad you forgive me. But, you know, but I know that it hurts you. And I love you. And I need to walk in fear 
every decision that I make should be motivated by my love for God, but also a reverence for God and a fear of God, knowing that I've got to give an account to Him. That one day there's an evaluation. And man, it'll be a lot more fun to give it when you've lived a life that's separate and different and a life that's pleasing to God. And so we need to recognize and understand it. The third thing is this, and uh, we'll put it all together, but how to successfully overcome temptation? And you know what? <laughs> then you need to focus your mind. You say, focus my mind? Focus it on what? He says, well, knowing, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. He's saying, you want to overcome temptation? Then focus your mind. And I say, on what? Well, first of all, focus it on this, that Jesus Christ died for us and he delivered us from sin and he freed us from slavery to sin and we no longer live in ignorance but we've got knowledge and the truth sets us free and we're without excuse before God. If you choose to yield to temptation, it's because you have chosen to be disobedient to God. And I need to focus on the fact that Jesus Christ has set me free from sin. That's a great thing to focus on. We don't live a life of hopelessness anymore. We don't live a life like other people who are ignorant and they live a life of hopelessness. We're not in that position anymore. He says you need to focus on that. You weren't redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. He says, but what? But with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The second thing we need to realize is this, is that Jesus Christ himself, Philippians 2, tells us that he gave up the position that was rightfully his, became a man, and suffered and died for our sins. The price that he paid, and I'm thinking, you know what? I once said this at a Bible study, and I'm going to say it again to you because it made an impact in my life, and that's this. When you're tempted to do that which, which, which is wrong before God and enticed to do that which is wrong, picture yourself at the foot of the cross looking up at Jesus Christ, at his battered face, at the bruises, at the scars, at the crown of thorns on his head, at the pain and the agony that he was suffering, Picture yourself looking up at him and everything he did to set you free from sin. And then I want you to ask yourself, can you ignore that to go and do what you're enticed to do? Picture yourself lying at the foot of the cross, cheating at the foot of the cross. Picture yourself having sex outside of marriage at the foot of the cross, cheating on your spouse. Picture yourself swearing and flipping people off on the freeway and picture yourself drunk at the foot of the cross. Picture yourself doing some drugs or snorting a line at the foot of the cross. <laughs> picture yourself at the foot of the cross yielding to temptation. Can you do that? Would you do that? I'll tell you what, if I focus my mind on Jesus Christ and on what he's done for me and realize that I've been bought with something that's imperishable, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You know, the word precious, we hear grandparents use it, we hear parents use it. Isn't he precious? Isn't she precious? And you know what's wonderful to me is to picture this rugged fisherman, and every time he mentions the blood of Christ, he always precedes it with the word, the precious blood of Christ. Maybe it's a word that we should save for the precious blood of Jesus Christ, because there is nothing else like it in all this world. Jesus Christ shed his blood to set us free from sin. Now, how can we who have died to sin 
continue to go on and yield to it. It doesn't make any sense, does it? It doesn't make any sense at all. How can we continue to present ourselves and our bodies as instruments of unrighteousness? You know, we go through this and you think of the futile way of living. In 1 Peter 4, 3 through 4, it says this, For the time already past is sufficient. Now listen to this. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the unbeliever, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. And in all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they make fun of you or they ridicule you. you I like what he's saying. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying is this. In time past, before you were chosen, before you accepted the love and the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ, in times past, you had plenty of time to do all those other things. You had plenty of time to run out and sow those wild oats, so they, so they say. Drunkenness, parties, abominations before God. You did all that, but you know what? Now that you've been set apart and you're living differently, the crowd used to do all those things with, you know what happens? They either try to pull you back to being the same way you used to be, or now that you're set apart and living differently, they sit back here as they're getting drunk and they're having their parties and doing their drugs and they're doing all the other things, and they make fun of you because now what? You're a holy roller. Now you're holier than now. Now you've got this pompous attitude that you don't have to do these things anymore, and somehow you're better than them. And what they don't understand is that you're no better than they are because God chose you and called you out from that. And the only thing that separates you from them is that God has chosen you and you accepted his calling. And you know what? God chooses them and they can accept his calling too. So we're not better than them. We're not more holier than thou. We don't have a pompous or self-righteous attitude. We're not arrogant. I'm no better than them because I know God called me from that same group. He chose me. And it was his love and his mercy that pulled me out of that and set me apart so I could be over here. But you know what? That doesn't mean I'm any better than them. The only thing that separates me is God's love and his choosing and his forgiveness and his mercy. I just accepted it. It's not me. It's him. So the point of the matter is, is that people live in the futility of their life over here thinking that, you know what? It's hopeless and we'll never get out of this mess. And the hand of God is reaching out to them in the person and the work of Jesus Christ and his cross and his precious bloodshed on the cross saying, all you need to do is accept what I've done for you. I've done everything. Just believe that. But the pride of man says, no. We'll get there on our own way. Somehow or another, we'll get to God in our own program. But I want you, in closing, to think of this. It says, But who has appeared, Jesus, in these last days for the sake of you who through him, what? Are believers in God. I don't know how many times I hear this, and I want to make this as clear as possible. I hear people say this, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. I believe in God, but I don't believe, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. Well... Let's not miss this, folks, because it's pretty obvious what God has to say is that, you know what? You cannot believe in God and reject Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. You cannot believe in God who through Him, Jesus, are now believers in God. You can't know God until you know Jesus. That's what was blowing his disciples away. They said, well, show us the way to the Father. Where are you going? How are you getting to God? And he goes, hey, have I been with you so long? If you've seen the Father, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because I and the Father am one. I'm God. And the only way you can get to God 
It's through me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man comes unto the Father but through me. People say all the time, but what about people who believe in other gods? There is no other God. There's only one God. And we know Him through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You want to overcome temptation? Oh, it doesn't get any easier than this. I mean, it's all laid out before us. It's just a matter of whether or not we believe what God says. Number one, live a holy life. Live a life that's different. How do we know how different to live? Hey, read the book. It's all in here. That's what separates this book from every other book. Read it. It's here. Used to lie? Don't lie no more. Used to steal? Stop stealing. Used to yell, scream, swear, uh, be angry at people, flip them off? Don't do it anymore. Used to get drunk? Don't do it. Used to do drugs? Stop doing them. Did I miss anything? There's a whole bunch more. Those are the ones that just came out of my head. But hey, that's the way it is. Live a life that's holy, separate, separated for God's purposes. Walk in fear. And then you're going to give an account. Not for your salvation, but for the works that you've done while you're here after you've been chosen and separated from the group. And then the third thing that we just saw is focus your mind on what? On Jesus Christ and on what he's done for you and on the cross of Christ. And I'll guarantee you, if you do that, you'll no longer be in a position of feeling it's hopeless. I can't get beyond this temptation in my life. Trust God. Apply those truths and watch Him set you free. Father, thank you for your word. Just thank you for the truth and the relevancy of it. Thank you for the simplicity of the message. God, we're just grateful that through Jesus Christ you've separated us from sin. There is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. That if any man's in Christ, old things pass away, all things become new. That we can walk in a new way of living, a new lifestyle, uh, different from where we've come from and different from the people around us that don't know you. God, we just thank you for that and the hope that you give us because of that. God, I wonder what wonderful life it is to live. A life filled with hope, knowing that because of you that we can overcome the temptations of this world. You tell us there's no temptation that overtakes us such as is common to man but you are faithful. You will not allow us to be tempted beyond that which we're able, but with that temptation also will provide a way of escape so that we can endure such temptation. God, we just thank you that your word provides such a way, and we just pray for the strength to believe you and apply these truths. And we look forward to what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen.